This is People Like Us, a show about Alt-NBA alumni. Here's Stein Hendrickshire from Alt-NBA 7. Are there things about you that you're like, oh yeah, like most people probably don't know this about me, and but but I would love to, uh, I would love to connect with alumni um, around that. I'm not really that interesting. <laughs> I've uh, had a relatively straightforward career. I was at Microsoft most of my career, um, but one of the things I think that makes me um, a primary beneficiary from the Alt MBA is that I'm a very entrepreneurial person. I like to build things. I like to start things. But I never went out on my own. And I was in this safe environment at Microsoft for a long time. I uh, had global roles. That's phenomenal. I mean, I shipped Office 365. I shipped Office 2010. I ran product marketing for Office globally for B2B and ran SMB marketing globally for Microsoft. So 500 people team, you know. Everything you sort of can wish in in a, in a corporate career, um, but nothing really mine, right? So I left Microsoft, and then I did a startup that also went did very well. Um, and I did another startup. I was CEO there, um, but I still it was not my thing, right? It was I was working for a VC, and uh, the second startup I did, we sold it to uh, Yandex, the Russian Google, um, and and as I had to earn out as the CEO. I had to stay on. I had some time on my hands. And that's why, that's when I started the Alt MBA. And it, I started with a few, I think there were a few reasons for me to do it. One, I definitely was in my, you know, whatever you call that um, sort of stage in life, midlife crisis, where, you know, I want to stay young. I want to keep learning, et cetera. So that was definitely part of it. So being part of this Alt MBA sort of uh, group was really cool and fun. Um, but I also was really challenging myself to, okay, what do you want to do with the next half of your career, right? So you're in your 40s, you're basically 20 years behind you, you got 20 more years in you. And, and the ultimate really helped me answer some of those questions. Do you really want to go back and work for a big company? Because I did miss the, at Microsoft when I was walking around in Asia or in Africa or in Europe, you know, your business card would get you in everywhere. You you were you were, you were doing this global thing, right? And and a product like Microsoft Office, and so I missed some of that. So I thought, you know, maybe I want to do that again for another big company. I also really missed um, owning what I did and, and leaving something meaningful behind that you could point at later. Uh, that was clearly yours. That was not necessarily part of you know twenty thousand other people working on it. Um, so the Alt MBA really helped me answer some of those questions. And what I um, so what I really concluded at the end is that I had to uh, grow in two specific areas. One is um, I had to figure out a way to productize my sort of twenty years of experience. Right, there was a lot there that I. I didn't want to leave behind, and but you also cannot, if you just take another job, it's not very scalable, right? So I was thinking, how do I productize all this knowledge and experience into something that can be something I run, I own, and I'm proud of, and that is valuable for others? Um, and then um, finishing, you know, shipping. I had shipped a lot of things as part of, you know, being part of bigger teams, but not really anything on my own. And I also have a tendency because I, I like to do new things to to start a lot of things, not necessarily finish all of them, right? <laughs> so being more of a finisher in addition to a starter, that was the other challenge I put in front of me. 
So um, as I sort of came out of Alt-MBA, I did a few more years of uh, what I do today, which is called fractional CMO work. Uh, and that's maybe the most interesting thing that I love to keep connecting with Alt-MBA alums is the gig economy has basically moved into the executive suite, right? It's starting to be relatively um, acceptable to have a CMO, in my case, chief marketing officer, but also other roles uh, on your team as a, as a contractor, whether that's interim or it's fractional, right? I like to say fractional, not part-time, because when you're the CMO of a smaller company, you're accountable full-time, right? Seven days a week. Even if you do it for two or three companies at a time, it's not necessarily part-time. Um, but that's become a more mature uh, business model in the U.S. It's very common in Europe for a long time already because it's so expensive there to hire and fire people. Um, but it's gotten more interesting here. And so there's a lot of alt-MBA um, uh, people that I can relate to who, whether they have their own business or not, they are in, you know, they are trying to add value in many different new business models. Uh, so mine is to, to be a, a fractional chief marketing officer specifically for B2B SaaS companies. That's the other thing I really took away from the alt MBA. Although as a marketer, I know that you have to nail a niche and you have to, you know, find your, your crease or where you can be what's called, I, I think, where you can either be the only one who does something or you're best at doing something, right? And, and if you're not the only one, you're not best that you just got to make your, 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 your scope smaller, right? So, and I really learned that and practiced that at Alt-MBA, and I had never really done it for myself. So coming out of Alt-MBA, that's another thing I really did. I really said, okay, I'm, I'm going to ignore all these other opportunities because there's plenty of places where I can either get work or get interesting consulting assignments and make good money. But I'm going to say no to those because I really want to stay focused on, on this niche of B2B, business-to-business -business SaaS companies. And that's paid off. And only, I think, the last year, Covington, I've taken the time to actually do the productizing part. Um, so now I'm not sure if you had a chance to look at my, my website, sas.chivatsiders.com. But it's really a whole framework now. I've basically productized about eight, nine years of working with B2B SaaS companies and building their marketing teams into a methodology. I'm writing a book. It should be out somewhere in 2019. Um, so, yeah, and all that, I think, was partly started with Alt-MBA. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not really answering your question, but I hope it's going in the right direction. That's my story, I guess. <laughs> That's a great answer. It's it's very clear. Or I, you, you, you tell in such a way that I can, I can, I can follow it. I, I did have one question about, um, I guess, being a fractional CMO. Like, how does... How does a person or a company know that it's time to hire someone like that? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Because I think there are, let's say there are 10 companies for whom this would be a good fit because they have the needs uh, for my type of experience. They cannot afford someone full time. They cannot spend three, 400K on a very experienced CMO, uh, but they still have the same needs. So I, so I would say that's a good fit. But then nine out of those 10 companies would not be a good fit because the leadership team, the owner, is just not ready to, to have a contractor, to, to not have someone on their payroll who they control, right? So I've learned to actually filter those out relatively early and be super honest and open with them. Basically, I'm, 
I'm going to be working for multiple masters. <laughs> and if you want to have your own person, you may not be able to afford the same level of experience, but that's what you should strive for. And I can help you find those people as well. So I, I try to really filter that out really early coming to. So I get people who are actually really open to this model. Um, yeah. And then still, I mean, the U.S. is such a big market. There's plenty of opportunities still. But I, I think only one out of 10 of the B2B SaaS companies that I think would be a fit from a business perspective are a fit from a, you know, emotional and willingness to give up a little bit of control uh, perspective. And is there a particular characteristic? Like, how do you know that they are willing to give up that control? Is there something that's like a telltale sign or how do you know? Well, yeah, I think some companies, they have a culture and a work model that is already more comfortable with maybe people not working, you know, on site, people not working, you know, standard office hours, people not being rewarded for presence, right, but being rewarded for outcome and impact. Um, so I think in my first conversation, it's pretty quickly that I get a sense of where people are and how they think about employer-employee relationships in general. Right. Because when I do my work, it's also for a big part, it's to be out. Right. So that's an environment that also needs to fit. Right. Apart from the relationship uh, one of these companies has with me. Uh, yeah. I, I want to go back to what you said earlier about not being very interesting. Surely you do other things besides yeah, yeah, yeah. just see a fractional CMO work. Well, you know, it happens coming if you're at my stage of life. Um, I've done a lot of the adventurous parts and I may have satisfied those needs. But yeah, that might be interesting. I, I, so at Microsoft, I was extremely fortunate uh, to have global roles. I have been in 54 countries, I think, or something like that. Um, and not just, you know, flight throughs, but actually staying there sometimes for days or weeks and being able to actually experience some of those cultures. Uh, even very uh, more remote places because I, I ran marketing for Microsoft Office and for the small and medium business segment, we had teams everywhere, right? We, I think we had teams in 104 countries. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. And it's partly why I now, uh, although I'm still, I'm still relatively young, I, I sort of, we don't really travel that much anymore outside of the U.S. <laughs> we sort of see most of it. And, uh, so we just enjoy spending time with, um, with our, our, our kids, we got kids who are in college, but uh, yeah, still spend a lot of time with them and, and and spend time with each other. So it's not necessarily uninteresting, but it's basically less less interesting maybe than it used to be. Um, I focus a lot on my work. I think I work six, seven days a week easily, and I like it. And it's really because I enjoy it, um, not necessarily because I have to. It's almost you start to work harder because you actually do what you really like and what you're passionate about, and you can. My wife and I, we've been together since we're 19, so we've been together for, what's that, 28 years or so, something like that. And as, yeah, so we have phenomenal, uh, phenomenal marriage, and we spend a lot of time together, but also a lot of time doing our own things. Um, uh, moving from the Europe to the U.S., of course, was a pretty big deal. We did that when our, kid, our son was seven, Um so we've already made some good, you know, had some good adventures in our life. Outside of work, if I have a little bit of time left, um, I play water polo. I do a little bit of, um, 
you know, computer gaming still. <laughs> I like that. And what I read play? a lot. I read a lot of comic books. Yeah, what do, you, what do you play or what are you reading? Oh, so I grew up. So my son is actually a pretty competitive player um, in things like League. Um, um, and actually I have an, a cousin who, is, who runs the, the, one of the top teams in the world in esports um, on sort of Dota and League and all kinds of other a sports team is uh, uh, the team is called Team Liquid. Maybe you heard of them. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty close to that. Um, but I'm still. I grew up in Age of Empires. So I'm, so now that Age of Empires two is sort of a revival, and it's sort of a very competitive sport now for a lot of younger players as well. I'm back into that a little bit. And, uh, but yeah, mostly uh, RTS games. Yeah. Like you've said, you've lived you've lived quite a life. And if you were to if you were to tell one of your future grandkids one story about your life, what would it, what would it be? Well, it would start with some of the the, the life events that are personal, have nothing to do with work, right? Moving from the Netherlands to the U.S. with my son and my spouse was, of course, a huge step in it. And we love it. We don't want to go back. We love this country. Uh, it provided the right level of opportunity engagement versus our ambitions and how we want to you know, live our lives. That's probably the biggest event in our life um, that we have, that we would share. Uh, professionally, I, and, and by the way, and then our son is doing really well. He's doing a double degree in the University of Washington. He just got accepted yesterday to go work at the Senate here in the state of Washington and as an internship. So yeah, we're very proud. And uh, we have another sort of a godson, I guess. He lived with us a lot since he was 10 up and on. Uh, he went to, so Lamar, our biological son, he's in Stanford. I'm sorry, he's in University of Washington doing a double degree there. The other is in Stanford. He's also graduating this year, um, also on the football team there. Um, so a lot of really things to be super proud of, um, sort of impact we've had. One of the things that I'm personally very proud of, Covington, that is not necessarily something I would boast about to my grandkids, but it makes me feel good about um, what I've sort of left behind. Both at Microsoft, but also some of the companies I worked before, software companies, and now in the last few years as well, I've had probably now about 60, 70 young marketers work for me. I did a lot of MBA recruiting at Microsoft. So I've had a lot of people that I've had the, the honor and the, the humbling sort of opportunity to, to manage them for a few years or, or much longer. And many of those have gone on to be CMOs, CEOs of Silicon Valley startups. Um, like one of them is the product leader at Lumosity. Another one is the CEO of a software company in Green Bay. And so there's all these people that I think I've had a little bit of impact on uh, that are now leaders in the tech community, in the software community. And um, so that's something that I probably feel most, it's most satisfying for me myself professionally. Um, and that's something I'm super proud of that I actually just, that I shipped myself. Um, was something called OpenXML. So when you, I'm not sure if you've ever used Microsoft Office, but the document formats in Office, at some point they changed from Doc to DocX, XLS to XLSX. Um, that was actually a pretty big deal for Microsoft. We made, there's a technical part that, that it became an XML format. But what we also did 
is turn it into an open ISO standard, an open industry standard. And my team actually did that. We had to get votes uh, and, and get a, there was like a Geneva UN-like meeting with 104 countries actually who had votes. Um, and it took about two, three years to get all that done and to get all these countries to vote yes, et cetera, for that to become an ISO standard. And so my team did that. And I was personally sort of leading that effort at Microsoft. And it was partly because we wanted to really be more open. We wanted to be interoperable. At that time, imagine billions of documents in the world, doc files, XLS files, PPT files, were stored in closed binary formats that were not owned by an independent body, right? So imagine 10, 15 years from now, if that would still be the case, that there's this huge amount of the world's information that's stored in formats that people may not even be able to access anymore, right? Because the tools may not be available to access that information. They may not have the intellectual property rights to access that information. So to actually drive that as an actual ISO standard, this ISO 29500, that's the standard, uh, that's a pretty big deal. Very proud of that. Um, and it helped Microsoft partly also um, be seen as a more open company. And a lot of the journey that they've been on the last few years, sort of the resurrection, was partly that, right? To be more in touch with the community and, and less and, and, and take the the noblesse oblige, right? Take the responsibility that comes with market leadership and market dominance. Um, and I, in my years at, in the Microsoft Office team, had a had a, a, an opportunity to play a role in that with this ISO standard. So that was really, really cool. Something I'm really proud of. Yeah, it's, it doesn't. It's doesn't seem like you're you're one to shy away from a big leap. Um, well, we had to. I mean, Open Office and Google Docs were also breathing down our necks competitively, right? So we had a choice: try to you know keep sailing, um, you know, uh, against the wind, or actually you know try to do what customers really needed, and that's what we did. You immigrated from the Netherlands. And that was something that was that was uh, difficult, but you're you're glad you did it. What mm-hmm. what was that like? Like, why did you why did you decide to embark on that journey? And and what do you remember about about that move? Yeah, I had been at Microsoft in the Netherlands for about six years, I think, or seven years. And uh, yeah, the subsidiary, the Dutch subsidiary, had grown a lot. I was leading sales. I had led. The Microsoft consulting business before built that actually very proud of that as well. Uh, really helping Microsoft to be for the first time really relevant for big enterprise customers. Um, but at some point, the country, the, the Microsoft subsidiary was just becoming small, Covington. And uh, so when I had an opportunity to get into the global headquarters and get a global role, yeah, it was part of some kind of executive exchange program. It was just a really cool opportunity. And um, so we didn't think about it very long. I think it was a, I was, I had visited my mom in France and uh, with my son, I was driving back a long, long drive. And I, I got this opportunity. I think I got a call from someone. And so I called my wife and said, what do you think? And she was pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And uh, so we, uh, we leaped, so to speak. Uh, and we've never looked back. We've, we've always loved it here. And, uh, I thought it was an opportunity that that we uh, yeah we could not um, pass on. And what kind of interest do, does your wife have? 
she's an anthropologist, history, uh, genealogy, everything that's sort of nothing, has nothing to do with tech, but really people and behavior and how cultures sort of evolve and language. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, we're very complementary. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would argue that that has everything to do with tech. I see a lot more of it <laughs> yeah, moving to it's starting to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tech is becoming a little more mature. I still believe I'm a marketer, Covington now. I sort of, I became a marketer. I was a software developer actually when I started my career. And I sort of, sort of gradually moved to become a marketing uh, specialist. And if you think of our profession. The fact that marketers are proud that we finally now are able to sort of um, do one-to-one marketing, something, by the way, that we've been trying to do since the 90s, like one-to-one marketing, like getting something to be super relevant for an individual, right? And it's still very hard, by the way. If you go to a prime prime hotel chain and you're a platinum guest, they still don't know what pillow you used last time. <laughs> but the fact that we are proud of doing that as marketers and to do things like A-B testing and experimenting, et cetera, it's kind of sad because most of other industries and professions have done that for hundreds of years, right? If you run a flower shop on the, on the corner of the block here, you're A-B testing with your customers all the time, right? Or if you're an improv um, actor, right, on stage, and you're doing, you're, you're testing new things, you're getting audience feedback, right? So marketing, and especially marketing in technology, to just build on your comment, is still relatively immature, I think. It's sort of, uh, yeah, lots to learn still. So I have one question that I ask every person that I talk to. And uh, the the goal of the show is to help all MBA alumni connect with one another. So how would you fill in the blank? Reach out if blank. Reach out if you want to become a better marketer. I have 10 plus years of scars and failures, but also a lot of best practices and learnings to uh, to share. I love teaching, <laughs> I love coaching. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be in a very big uh, part of the industry and also done a lot of small things. So uh, that's for me the biggest, uh, asset that I have to give to people, not just professionally, but I think the type of people that I've met at the Alt MBA. There's many other things I have opinions on, but but this would be the one thing that I where I feel I can really provide the most value. Well thank you for being part of this community and and taking the time to chat with me. Yeah. Really cool. Thank you, Covington, for doing this. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for ways to contact Stein.